You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. I will be reading first in Spanish and second in English. We do this occasionally to be reminded of our global faith. It's a glimpse into eternity when people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will gather around our God's throne and worship him together. Salmo 134. Mirad. Bendecid a Jehová. Vosotros todos los siervos de Jehová. Los que en la casa de Jehová estáis por las noches. Alzad vuestras manos al santuario y bendecid a Jehová. Decisión de bendiga a Jehová. El cual ha hecho los cielos y la tierra. Psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we arrive at the end of the Pilgrim's Playlist, we really see the purpose of this journey all along, what it's really been all about, what these, these men and women of faith set out for in the first place, what they put their lives on the line to experience. And really, it is summed up in a word that is repeated three times in this short psalm, and that word is bless. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, and may the Lord bless you. Why? do we gather? Or, maybe the the right question for us today is, what do we long for when we are separated? What's the point of this all? And it's quite simple, and it's laid out for us in this psalm. The journey is all about blessing the Lord and being blessed by him. This is very similar to what we find in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the very beginning, the very first question asks, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What is the point of this all? To bless God and to be blessed by him. I want you to notice something about this this psalm. It is both a call to worship and a benediction. It's a welcome and it's a sending at once. And what we can gather from that is that those on the journey of faith arrive to be sent out again. Arrive to be sent out again. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage under just two simple headings. We're going to look at the call to worship, and then lastly, the benediction. Let's look first at the call to worship. Now, if you have ever visited uh, churches in old historic cities like St. Paul's in London or the Cathedral at Milan or Notre Dame in Paris, you will notice that there are often these sectioned off portions of the church with signs that read something like reserved for worshipers, reserved for worshipers. And what it represents is that while tourists are welcome to spectate, there is only so far that you can go in, there's only so far you can go as a spectator of faith. And so you're faced with a choice. 
you're either going to be an appreciator of the divine on the fringe with your arms folded, or you're going to be the one who journeys further in as a worshiper with hands raised. And the question that we are faced with is, which will you be? Which will you be? This is what Psalm 134, the the final Psalm of Ascent, the arrival song represents. They are finally here in Jerusalem. They made it. Now what? Look at me again in verse 1. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And so what we see here is that the end of the road brings a brand new fork in the road. One of really utmost importance, not just for the original travelers that sang this song, but for us today, the readers. And the fork in the road for us today is very much the same. Will you enter in as one who worships the living God, or will you forever remain on the fringes of faith as a spectator? Like like the father speaking to the older son in the parable of the prodigal, are you coming in, or will you stay out here? Are you coming in, or are you staying out here? See, while this space is extremely exclusive, this is for worshipers only. This is for servants of the Lord. In fact, commentators believe that this is talking about the Levites and the priests whose jobs were really to keep worship going around the clocks, even into the late hours of the night. This is very exclusive space, but it is also the most inclusive space. Who is welcome to enter in? The psalmist says, all you. All who would come by faith, all who who would offer themselves to the Lord. See, in the Gospels, uh, we're told that when Jesus breathed his final breaths on the cross outside of the city as he was separated from God and separated from the worshiping community, that at that very moment in the city of Jerusalem, in the temple, the veil was torn from top to bottom. In a temple, that was marked by boundaries and divisions and separations where there was only so far that you could go, where where the presence of God was off limits to almost everyone and reserved for only the holiest of men. And in, in that moment, as Jesus breathed his final breaths on the cross, the separations were removed. And because of Jesus' atoning death and his powerful resurrection, we can now respond to this invitation to come and to bless the Lord, to, to glorify him, to come in. In fact, that's what we're told in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, where we're told this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, not trepidation, but confidence, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Yeah, sure, your life is a train wreck, but you have just crashed into a place of healing. You are here now. Praise the Lord. And for some, you may feel like you're up to your ears in sin, and even to utter a word, let alone to sing praises at the top 
of your lungs. You feel so unworthy. And yet, as we see here, the door of hope opens and the voice of God resounds calling you, come in, don't hold back. I have welcomed you. For others, we're, we're so ashamed about how many times we wanted to quit and turn back. Join the club. And for others, you feel like your hearts are no longer in it. The journey has been tough. And you've seen some things. Now you're feeling jaded and, and apathetic and beat up. And to lift your hands just feels so hypocritical. And to lift your hands just feels so strange and not authentic. And yet the psalmist instructs the believing community, lift up your feeble hands and praise him. Praise the Lord. No matter where you've been, no matter what you're going through, praise God. Now there's a call to worship from a church back east that, uh, that they read every, every time they gather as a church. And it goes like this. To all who are weary and in need of rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who feel lost and worthless and wonder if God even cares. To all who fall and desire victory. To all who sin and need a savior. To all who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And to whoever else will come. This church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, the lover of his enemies, the defender of the weak, and the justifiers of those who have no excuses left. This is the invitation of Psalm 134 to the weary traveler who now shows up on the steps of the city of God. It is nighttime, it is after hours, it's almost as if this is being sung by all those who got lost and are now late to the party. Regardless if you sprinted here, regardless if you stumbled here, regardless if even you were dragged here, it doesn't matter how many wrong turns you took, it doesn't matter how many times you got lost, it doesn't matter how many times you fell and had to be picked up and carried, bless the Lord, or as some translations read, praise the Lord. Now praise, praise isn't just us glorifying God, but it is also the key to enjoying him. Let me say it this way. Praise is the link between blessing God and being blessed by him. Praise is what makes these ideas one. And let me explain by uh, referencing a, a thought that is borrowed from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis writes about the idea of praising God, not just as a way as, uh, of blessing God, but really being blessed by him. And he begins by being very honest and sharing his struggle around the concept of praise. He says early on in his faith that he struggled with the idea of God demanding praise from his people. I, I get obedience, I get gratitude, I get reverence. But this idea of perpetually praising God, he said, it doesn't make sense, and it was off-putting to him. Like a person that is constantly needing to be told they're great. Why is God always wanting us to remind him that he's great? And he thought, you know, logically, if God is so holy and God is self-sufficient, he doesn't need anything from us. 
He doesn't need us to, to, to affirm him. Clearly, he doesn't need us to stroke his ego and constantly remind him of how great he is. So then why does he command us to praise him? Why? Why do we praise him? And he realizes that God not only demands our praise because he is simply worthy of it, and that could and should be enough, but God goes further still. And God calls us to worship out of consideration for us. And I truly believe that if you grasp what I'm about to share with you, that it's going to change the way that you praise God forever. Now, you can agree with it or you can disagree with it, but please just don't sleep on this idea. He said, the world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistress, readers their favorite poet, walkers their favorite countryside or hiking trails and players their favorite teams and weather and dishes and wines and actors and motors and horses and colleges and even goes on to say our favorite politicians. And just as men, he said, spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't that great? Tell me you loved that. The psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, is doing what all people do when they speak of what they care about. And then he comes to this conclusion. He said, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. The duty exists for our delight. It would be torture if we did not have the opportunity to celebrate what we love most. And so when God commands us to praise, he is commanding us to praise because he is adamant about our joy. He's not some egotistical figure up in the sky. He is someone who is deeply committed to your joy forever. And he calls us to praise. He calls us to praise. This is what we express when we, when we lift our hands in praise. We're not just honoring the one that we worship with hands out, but we are reaching out to receive from, from him. This is one of the postures of praise as we lift our hands to God. Now, I've got this magnolia tree in my backyard. I've told you about this tree before. And every year around this time, as the sun's rotation moves further south, you know, we're getting a little bit less of the sun every day, the entire tree begins to lean toward the south and extend its branches. It's very weird. Extend all of its branches toward the sun. And what this magnolia tree does naturally for its own growth and for its own vitality, we are to do as well. Extending our arms to the source of life. When we lift our hands in praise, which by the way is not a suggestion, it's a command, when we lift our hands and praise God, we are saying with our body, praise God from whom all blessings flow. You are my source of life. You are my source of joy. For my own growth, for my own life, for my own vitality, I am reaching out to you. As Eugene Peterson writes, you may, be able, you may not be able to command your heart, but you can command your arms. Lift your arms in blessing. And just maybe your heart will get the message and be lifted up also in praise. Lift your hands. Sing to him. It's a call to worship. But secondly, and finally, this is also a benediction. Look at me in verse 3. 
May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. I love this. We come to bless God. And yet, what do we find? We find that we leave blessed by him. And the psalm really reflects, in all of its brevity, really reflects the life of faith. What we offer to God pales in comparison to what God, the maker of heavens and the earth, offers to us. I'm reminded of a line from Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, where he says, you know, it's not a cry that you hear at night, and it's not somebody who's seen the light, but it's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. What do we offer God? Often a cold, broken, and divided praise. Think about it. We lift our voice to God, and then soon after, we are lifting our voice towards others in resentment. We have the gospel on our lips on Sunday, and then Monday we have gossip on our lips. Or as James would put it, with that same tongue, we we bless the Lord, and then we curse men and women that are made in the likeness of God. Our hands are extended toward God in worship, and then Monday we are reaching for our, our idols. We stand in the sanctuary to praise God, and then throughout the week we begin. We begin, we begin to slouch and recline into our spiritual apathy. At the end of the day, what we offer is a cold and a broken hallelujah. But there's still good news here. As the psalm illustrates, God's blessing gets the last word. And this is what we stake our entire journey on. This is what we are staking our entire faith on, not That when we arrive, if we have blessed God enough, if we have said enough prayers, if we have sang enough songs, if we've done enough service, then God will receive us and then God will bless us. No, we stake our entire journey on the fact that God is generous and he's gracious to us. Our place in his kingdom, our place in his city, our place in his temple hinges on his unending favor that he continues to pour out on us whether or not we are deserving. And this is what gets us praising. This is why we sing. Not based on the kind of week we had, but because of the God we worship. This is what the Apostle Paul expresses in his long, run-on sentence at the beginning of Ephesians. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord because the Lord has blessed you. We praise because we've been blessed. So let me conclude with this. What we find as we come to the very end of this journey is something very interesting. It does not say that the pilgrims of faith, when they arrived at Zion, then they lived there happily ever after. They made it. End of the story. Far from it. The story is far from over. In fact, it ends very similar to how we will end our service today. It ends with a blessing. It ends quite literally a benediction, which as you know are parting words. And as quick as they arrive, they just made it. They just got here. As quick as they arrive, they're sent back out into the world. They're sent back onto the path. They're sent back into the world, but now transformed because they are recipients of God's blessings and now stewards of God's blessings into the world. And it's a reminder that the journey is far from over. Like we see illustrated for us in the famous story, The Pilgrim's Progress, Faith in Christ is simply the beginning of our journey, never the end of it. The grace of God does not expedite the process. The grace of God does not teleport us to the very end. The grace of God means that his presence is with us the rest of the way. And the city that we are moving toward is the new heavenly city of eternity that will be ours when Jesus returns. And this helps us. The application is very simple. This helps us to resist the notion that we have somehow arrived in our lives and in our faith. You haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. In fact, the apostle Paul himself would say elsewhere, not that I've already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Resist the expectation of perfection for your life and for the life of the people around you. Resist the expectation for perfection. Resist the pressure to have arrived in life. We are all on the journey together. Whether you believe in Jesus today or whether you believed in Jesus 50 years ago, we are still pressing on, placing our confidence that God will complete what he began in us. And as Lady Julian of Norwich described the Christian life, we are now on a journey into infinity. If you are hidden in Christ by faith, you with the believing community have been set onto a trajectory of unlimited, boundless discovery and endless joy. We don't arrive when we become a Christian. We don't arrive when we've been a Christian for so, you know, so many years. We don't even arrive when we breathe our final breaths far from it. It is all just the beginning. We are just getting started. And so I'm going to end this series where C.S. Lewis ends one of his most famous stories about Narnia. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page, 
Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. What does that mean for us as we come to the end of the series? It means that the end is just the beginning. The future is bright. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And may the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...